Well, Hub City, it's great to be with you today as we continue our wandering series, looking at the people of Israel wandering the desert out of slavery and into the promised land. And we are just relating with these human beings. That's what they are. They are just a a large mass of humanity moving through the desert. And we're talking about all kinds of themes that we can relate to. Uh, experiencing the miraculous, complaining, needing boundaries, dealing with fear. And today we're talking about rebelling against leaders, godly leaders that people have put into our lives. It is a theme that repeatedly happens during their wanderings of the desert. In fact, at one point, Moses' own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, turn on him and rebel against him. Now, the story we read today, this is a, a wild story, one you don't hear a lot in Sunday school. But it was uh, just read to you coming out of Numbers chapter 16. And you see this group of Levites. They are the assistant priests, or if Dwight was one of them, an assistant to the priest. And they are pushing back against the leadership of Moses and of Aaron. And we see this in verses 1 through 3. They became insolent and rose up. Uh, they, They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron. There is opposition going on right here, right? This is more than a sour complaint on Moses' Yelp account or Yelp page. This is a full-on revolt. They are trying to replace Moses and Aaron. Uh, this reminds me of, of real and pop culture, pop culture examples. You know, Brutus betraying his best friend to help murder Julius Caesar. You've got Fredo trying to overtake Michael Corleone in The Godfather. Uh, forget about it, right? Or you have even Steve Jobs getting ousted from his own company, Apple, because they didn't like the direction that Steve was leading the company. I mean, full-on revolt that's taking place. The Levites have had it with Moses and Aaron. But why? Why are the Israelites rebelling against Moses and Aaron? Let's think about that for a moment. As we look at this text, we see a few examples of this. In verse 3, they're complaining to Moses, saying, Moses, you've gone too far, right? The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? What what are they feeling? What are they expressing? They're feeling overlooked. They're missing out on the prestige of the priesthood. They're looking around the room and saying, everybody's holy Moses. Who Holy Moses, who do you think you are, right? Maybe that's where we get the phrase, holy Moses. I don't know. But you get this idea of them wondering, why are they getting all this special attention? We're special too, right? We're a bunch of snowflakes. We're unique. We're special. And at the core of it, what is it? They're power hungry. They're jealous. They're insecure. They want a piece of the action here. In verse 13 and 14, they complain again. They say, isn't it enough that you brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? Notice how they described Egypt, their slavery, a land flowing with milk and honey. And you've brought us out here to what? The desert. And now you want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. These guys are complaining about the direction Moses and Aaron are leading them. They're upset about where they're headed. They would now prefer to go back to Egypt over the desert. They're doubting even, is God really in the middle of this? Or are we just following Moses and Aaron? And let's see what's going on. You know, at the core of this, man, they are just wrestling with I don't like the direction we're headed. We're making mistakes. I don't like what's happening. I think I could do it better. And so they rebel. And I think at the core of it, all of us are like these Levites. 
We complain and we push back, we revolt, we reject the leaders of our lives. Think about it. Let's be honest with ourselves. We reject the leaders for a variety of different reasons. We've got leaders in our lives and we choose to push back and revolt against them. I'm seeing it right now uh, in, in youth sports, right? Our kids are involved with youth sports. And it's so easy for parents to want to what? Circumvent the coach and, and get uh, in their way and, and tell them, oh, this is how you need to coach or this is how we could do it better or this is what's going on, right? Uh, we, we feel this at work. We feel inferior to our bosses. We think we could do it better. We know the solution. We disagree with the choices that they're making to lead the team or lead the company and all of this. And, and, and then what? We, we revolt against those bosses. We lead a coup of coworkers to, to badmouth or to gossip, even within church. I mean, we think church is going to be this holy place and set apart. We're going to live different. And yet we complain against our leaders. We reject the leaders that God has put in our lives. And, and what do we end up doing? We want to see a different ministry, a different vision. We don't like the way they handled things or made choices. Uh, we wish they, 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 they were as spiritual as we are. And we reject the spiritual leaders that God has put in our lives, the work leaders that God has put in our lives, the sports leaders that God has put in our lives. And I want you to do something for a moment. I want you to pause and ponder and personalize this. Pause and ponder and personalize. And I want you to think about the influential leaders that you used to have in your life different seasons, different times of your life that you had different leaders, but I want you to think about them and think about how at some point we've rejected those leaders. We've rejected their influence in our lives. Think about that for a moment. Be honest and, and, and evaluate. Maybe it was a boss, a teacher, a parent. Maybe it was a pastor at some point or a mentor figure in your life. But at some point, we rebelled, we rejected, we left them. And I want you to think about why. What was stirring within you? Pause, ponder, and personalize it. Because in reality, it's within our human nature to do this. We are wired to reject the people that God has put in our lives. And we see God's response is going to reveal how he feels about this kind of rebellion. Look at God's response in this. In verse 31 and 32, and it said, 31 and 32, it says that the ground split open and swallowed them. Again, I think that most kids in Sunday school would love this story. We should tell this story more often, right? The ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. Can you picture that? Imagine that. Whoosh, it just engulfs them and pours them in, and they're screaming as they're falling in. It's just like, ah, this is this crazy moment, right? And in verse 46, we see that God brings upon them a plague as a consequence. And, and close to 15,000 people are killed because of this. And, and what is this showing us? I think we could see clearly that God desires a different response when we disagree with the leaders in our lives. That we aren't revolting against them. We aren't rejecting them. We aren't going to rebel against them. God is teaching Israel to do it differently. He's teaching us to do it differently. We've got to look at our leaders a little bit different. We've got to learn to submit to our leaders and follow our leaders that God has put in our lives. God has put these people in our lives for us to learn and to be guided and directed. And this is Learning, not, not, this message is not about please be nice to Pastor Sean and do everything that I say, okay? I want you to take a deep breath. This is not a pat on the back for me, but this is about learning how to follow God's leaders because it's going to help us to learn how to follow God.
Learning to follow God's leaders helps us to learn how to follow God. I even think about our new church slogan. We've, we've released this during this series, this idea that Hub City Church is ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. This is who we are. If anybody ever asks you, what's your church all about? Right? You can tell them about being four square. You can tell them about our outreaches and our ministries. You can tell them about our doctrine if you want. You can tell them how awesome your pastor is. But at its core, this is our slogan of who we are. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. And as we live this out as a community of believers, we have to understand that God has put leaders in our lives. Leaders within our church community to help guide and direct and coach so we can continue to follow Jesus. We are ordinary people, but we're doing this together. And part of that togetherness is seeing this biblical structure that God has created for leadership within the church. Leadership within our lives. We look at it in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul talks regularly about the leadership that we see within the church. right? In Ephesians 4.12, he talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. And all of them exist in Ephesians 4.12. It says they do, do, they do what? They equip the saints for ministry. These leaders are equipping people to go do the ministry of God. They're not doing it for them. They're empowering them to go do what God has called them to do. See, we need people that will equip us to go do what God's called us to do. They help us follow God, right? Hebrews 13.7 says it like this. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. The author of Hebrews sees that God has put people in your life to lead you spiritually and emotionally, relationally. People are in our lives, and they're making an impact. They're shaping us. They're helping us follow Jesus. And so we need to learn how to follow them. Often Paul would say to people, come follow me because I'm following Jesus. You imagine that kind of mentorship, that kind of leadership. He's saying, I'm following Jesus, so come follow me, and we'll follow Jesus together. Jesus is putting people in our lives so that we can continue to learn and grow and develop as disciples. And godly leaders will help us learn how to follow God. And Moses and Aaron are an example of that. And they're an example worth following. Now I want us to pause and ponder and personalize again for a moment. Can we do this for just a moment? I want you to pause and ponder. And you're going to personalize it here. I want you to think about the types of leaders that have influence in your life. I want you to think about who has your ears, who has your time, who has your attention. Think about who you're listening to, what you're watching, whose posts you're liking, whose values you're adopting. I want you to think about the leaders that have influence in your life. And what, what do we look for in a leader? What are we looking for? If we're going to give them influence of our lives, if we're going to submit to their leadership, what are we looking for? Popularity, a loud voice, charisma, good looks, good, good books. I don't know, you know, what are we looking for when it comes to a leader? And we see in this text out of number 16, as gory and graphic as this moment is, where the earth swallows these people up, I think it gives us some insight into what godly leadership can really look like and the kind of leaders that we can be following, the kind of leaders that we should be on the lookout for. And Moses and Aaron... Their response shows us, man, that's a leader that I want to follow. Look at their example. 
First one, right out of the gate. Godly leaders speak truth. Godly leaders don't just shine us on and tickle our ears with what we think we want to hear or what we think we need to hear. They will speak the truth to us. In chapter 16, verse 9 through, through 10, this is Moses' response to the Levites. These Levites have, have launched into all these complaints. And look at Moses' response to them. Isn't it enough for you that God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near to him to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? Isn't that enough? He has brought you and your fellow Levites near himself, but now you're trying to get the priesthood too. Moses is speaking truth to them. He's showing them. Look at that scripture. He is showing them, look at the good in your life. See the good. Look at how close you are to what God is doing. Look at what you get to participate in. Stop looking for what you don't have and enjoy what you have. See, he's speaking this truth to them and saying, man, God's appointed you and anointed you for this purpose. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And, and he's speaking truth to them too. He's calling them out and saying, but look at what you are doing. You're trying to take something that isn't yours. See, Moses isn't just trying to tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. But at the same time, as we look at this text, we see that Moses is being assertive. Moses is being respectful. Moses is being encouraging. All at the same time. He's being assertive and drawing the line in the sand. He's being respectful, right, and, and honoring to them. But at the same time, he's being encouraging to them. Man, oh man, Moses is speaking truth, and that's what truth is. And I want to wonder for, for myself, as I'm thinking, let's think for ourselves, are we following leaders that tell us the truth? Are we following leaders that will be honest with us, will encourage us, will be assertive with us, will tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear? The second aspect that we see in, in leaders worth following is this idea of this self-awareness. Godly leaders are self-aware. They know who they are. In the face of conflict, in the face of pushback and criticism, Moses takes what posture? What do they do? It says twice in the same story that we read, in verse 4 and in verse 45, it says that Moses and Aaron heard this and fell face down. They take this posture. They position themselves in a, in a posture of humility. They understand that criticism is a part of leadership, right? I, I think that's something we need, to, we need to know as we want to step into leadership. And we have to understand that that's going to come with criticism. That's going to come with pushback. That's going to come with rebellion. And Moses' response to this is a position of humility. He has this awareness to say, I'm human. I, I, I don't know, God. I don't know how to fix them. I don't know how to fix this problem. I don't know how to make everyone happy. So he falls to his knees. Do we take that posture? Do we follow people that take that kind of posture? That don't act like superheroes and have a savior complex and try to solve all of our problems. But in the midst of conflict, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, they fall to their knees and say, God, I am not God, but you are that they are willing to have such an awareness and set aside their ego. I think it speaks volume about their character and to know who they are and where they stand in the world. That's the kind of leader that we want to be following. The third aspect that we see in the final one is godly leaders are sacrificial. Godly leaders 
are sacrificial. You see this with Aaron. In the midst of this plague that breaks out, in verse 47 and 48, it says that, that Aaron ran into the middle of the plague. And he, he brought incense, which is a symbol for prayer. Anytime you see incense, it is this imagery of prayers being lifted to God and floating up to the heavens, right? And it says that they ran into the middle of the plague, ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started, right? And he stood there between the living and the dead. Look at that position. He is willing to be exposed. He's willing to, 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 to lay his life down for this. Why? Because he's willing to fight for these people. He's willing to sacrifice for these people. He runs right in the middle of the mess. And I, I, I look at this and I say, I want to follow leaders who will follow me into my mess. I want to follow people who aren't standoffish and saying, hey, you're messy, you're complicated, you're not all there, you're not clicking on all cylinders. No, I want to follow leaders who are willing to get in the mess with me who are willing to sacrifice their time and their resource, their convenience, their conversations, themselves, to be with me, to walk through this with me, to pray for me and contend for me. As we look at this, we see leaders, godly leaders, are leaders who are sacrificial. And as you look at all of these, what we see also is not just great qualities of Moses and Aaron. We see great qualities that are also replicated in the life and ministry and character of Jesus. Jesus was a leader like this, right? Moses and Aaron, we, we want to strive to have that kind of leadership. Jesus, we want to strive to have that kind of leadership. But you look at the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus spoke truth, whether it was to the priest of Nicodemus, and he needed to be told, you got to be born again. All those rules aren't going to get you saved. Whether it was the woman at the well, and he said, this is your reality. You got a lot of husbands, don't you? You got a lot of stories. You got a lot of past. You got a lot of mess, right? He's willing to speak that truth, the adulterous woman. And he goes and he tells her, sin no more. Jesus speaks truth. Jesus was also self-aware. He knew he was the son of God, and yet he humbled himself. Philippians 2 talks about him taking the nature of humanity, taking this position and posture of somebody low, that's the self-aware Jesus that we worship and follow. And Jesus was sacrificial. We see this in his ministry, in his teaching, but ultimately in his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus laid it all on the line for us. He died for us before we even loved him or cared to know him. If we're choosing to follow leaders in our life, I, I would say we need to look at these three things and, and see these, th these three things. Leaders that speak truth, leaders that are self-aware, leaders that are sacrificial. I want to look for these. If I'm going to give you my time, if I'm going to invest my energy and my resource to following you and learning from you and watching you and listening to you, man, oh man, I want to see these qualities in the leaders that I'm investing my life in. Not just who's popular, not just who's getting lots of likes, not just who... Uh, seems to sound or look like they've got it all together. I want to see leaders like this. And if I'm wanting to be a leader, and we all have influence in our lives, we all have leadership qualities and leadership platforms, whether it's within our homes or our workplaces or, or, or our schools, our friends and our community, our church, whatever it is, we've all got influence as leaders, and I would say we need to strive for these types of qualities to come out of us. But we see what a godly leader looks like. And that's a leader that we need to be following. So instead of rebelling against these types of leaders, how do we truly follow godly leaders? What does it look like to truly follow a godly leader? 
And I, I had to really think about this because obviously it's not about complaining to them and leaving them and trying to take over their responsibility in a hostile takeover type way like the uh, Levites did to Moses and Aaron. So what do we do if God doesn't want us to rebel against those godly leaders and, and influences in our lives? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? What does it look like to follow a godly leader? I've got a couple of examples, and guess what? They all rhyme, so here you go. Hopefully it sticks with you. I've got four easy ways or easy-to-remember ways that we can support and follow the godly leaders that he has put in our lives. And this is not just, hey, do this for Sean. This is all the godly influencers and leaders in your life. These are things that we can be adopting and implementing in our lives. One is supporting those godly leaders as you obey Supporting as you obey. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. I think it shows this humility and the submission as a follower of Christ to say, I'm going to do what you ask. I'm going to live to the standard that you're calling me to. I'm going I'm to follow through and implement the instructions that you're giving me. I've got godly leaders in my life, and, and, and it means a lot to them that I listen, but I also implement I do and act on what they say. I'm not just hearing it in one ear and forgetting it out the other. Supporting our leaders by doing, uh, by doing what they say or, or supporting our leaders as we obey. The next one is supporting our leaders as you pray. See, I told you it was going to rhyme. So supporting them as you obey, but supporting them as you pray. Hebrews 13, 18 says, pray for us. The author of Hebrews is writing to the early church and he simply says, pray for us. Would you pray for us? Not only am I praying for you, but will you pray for us, he says. Because prayer unites our hearts. Prayer is the, is the, is the gymnasium. It is the, it is the place where God begins to build those muscles within me and wants to do a lot of heart work during that prayer time as I'm interceding for somebody else uh, in leadership above me. Man, God wants, to, God wants to do something in me. I'll tell you what, as I'm praying for somebody, it is really hard for me to be bitter, to be prideful, to be against them. So that simple verse right there, pray for us. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the people that God has put in your life. Supporting them as you pray. Supporting them as you obey. Supporting them as you pray. The third one is supporting them with what you say. Supporting them with what you say. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 says, Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And we've got good leaders in our lives, pastors and mentors and friends and parents. We've got spiritual people guiding us and, and, and leading our lives. Let's respect them. Let's honor them with what we say, with how we talk about them, with how we post about them, by sending them a thank you card, by by speaking good things over them and, and honoring them with what we say. There are countless conversations that happen about leaders behind the scenes. We get it. I, we all know that, right? Because we've been a part of it. We need to honor our leaders with what we say. Imagine if the Levites had gone to Moses and Aaron and aired their frustrations, but they had honored 
Aaron and Moses, rather than trying to tear them down, rather than trying to replace them. They respected them. They appreciated them. What if they valued them with what their words were, rather than trying to take over? Supporting our leaders with what we say. The last one is supporting with your pay. Supporting as you obey, supporting as you pray, supporting with what you say, but the last one is supporting with your pay. And here's the thing. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Elders who do their work well should be respected. He, uh, Thessalonians just said that. Should be respected and paid well. Especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Why are we talking about this? Is because when we give generously to people, it is, again, just like praying, when you're giving generously to somebody else, it is really hard to be bitter at them. It is really hard to want to be malicious towards them, to hold a grudge against somebody, but at the same time be generous and just flood them with resource or blessing or tangible things in, in any capacity. Uh, you begin to show that you're caring for them, that you're in their corner as you're blessing them and showing up and doing things. And and that generosity is not only going to continue to encourage and and bless that leader that is in your life, but it's going to do some heart work in us as we show that generosity, as we work that out. And I'll tell you what, as we look at all of these things of obey, pray, say, and pay, these responses will combat the rebellion and the rejection the selfishness, the entitlement, everything that brews below the surface within us. When we are frustrated at the leaders that that are in our lives and we disagree with them and we think we could do it better and we don't like the direction that they're going and we think we're more spiritual or they're too spiritual or whatever it is, as we begin to obey what they say and pray for them and and, and honor them in what we say and we we honor them with our pay, man, God's going to, God's going to, do something in our lives. It's going to combat that desire to fight, and instead we're going to learn how to truly follow. And this is important, because I believe that following Jesus intertwines with the idea of following leaders. Our ability to follow Jesus intertwines with this idea of following leaders. If we can't follow Jesus, then we're going to struggle to follow people. Think about that. If I can't follow Jesus, an invisible God, I'm going to really struggle with following people. And if I can't follow people, I'm going to really struggle to follow Jesus. Why am I struggling to follow all these leaders? Well, it's probably some heart issues that I haven't really worked through with Jesus. And Jesus wants to work on that, but I don't know if I really want to deal with that. See, so following Jesus and following leaders is so deeply connected and interconnected. Moses brings this idea up in verse 11 when they are confronting them. He says, it's against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Think about it. Who are these leaders that we grumble against and complain about and revolt against and turn against and reject? They're just people, sinful, fallible people, right? But God has appointed them and anointed them for that position in that time. He's given them that influence, and we reject them because we don't like it, or we disagree, or we think we could do it better. And what Moses is pointing out in this verse is they aren't just rejecting the appointed, they're rejecting the appointer. They're rejecting the one that has put them in place. You see, they're not rejecting just the people, but at its core, they're rejecting the God that put them 
in a position of influence. They're rejecting God with their heart. See, so following leaders is deeply interconnected with following Jesus. And the reality is, we think it's, it, it, it's not possible to not like Jesus or want to reject Jesus, but Jesus understands and even told the disciples, people are going to reject him. People are going to reject Jesus. In Luke 9, 22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day, and on the third day be raised to life. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus had to tell his disciples, I know we got crowds of people following us, but guess what, guys? It's going to get difficult. A lot of people are going to bail on us. Religious leaders, elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, all of these people are going to reject Jesus. Jesus understood that it is within our human condition to reject the leaders in our lives and ultimately to reject our God. And we say, no, no, I'd never reject Jesus. I'd never turn on him. Jesus loves me, right? And I love Jesus. I'll tell you what, it is really easy to follow Jesus when he's doing miracles and he's multiplying loaves and fishes and he's talking about love. And we see that within his ministry. Crowds of people, miracles, loaves and fishes, love. People are following Jesus, right? But Jesus knew that following him at some point was going to involve sacrifice and suffering and difficulty and serving and waiting and admitting I'm wrong and admitting I need help. This is where people bail on Christ. This is where we reject the idea that we need Jesus. It's kind of like the idea of wanting to own a boat. Everyone loves owning a boat, right? Everybody loves the idea of owning a boat. Oh, driving around on the water, inner tubing, fishing, wind in your hair, the smell of the water. Everybody loves a boat. Right? But the moment you get a boat, and then you love it until it gets a little difficult, doesn't go as planned. Everyone loves owning a boat until you got to winterize that boat, or store that boat, or moor that boat. Everyone loves owning a boat until it has a leak. Everyone owns, loves owning a boat until they got to fill it up with gas. Right? People don't want to do that. It's when it gets difficult, people are like, I don't really like having this boat. Anybody want a boat? Well, we're all in on following Jesus until we got to wait. Until the miracle doesn't happen. We're all in on following Jesus until we have to change. We're all in on following Jesus until we're in a desert season. And then we're out. That's what we do with Jesus. It's what we do with pastors. It's what we do with parents. It's what we do with coaches and leaders and bosses. And it's what the Levites did with Aaron and Moses, and it's what the Israelites did with God. Learning to follow godly leaders will teach us how to follow God. And as a church, you might feel like we're in a season of wandering. Our culture's in a season of wandering. You personally might feel like you're in a season of wandering. And in that time, can we learn to follow Jesus? Can we learn to say yes to him, even when it's not easy, even when it's difficult, even when it feels like a desert? And can we learn to follow the leaders that Jesus has put in our lives, even right now? Even in this season of wandering, can we say yes to following the leaders that God has put in your life? Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we just, we thank you for today. 
And in this moment, God, we recognize our tendency to reject you. We want you when it's sunshine and rainbows, but God, we, we turn from you, we reject you, we bail on you when it's difficult. And right now, Jesus, I just want to give everyone an opportunity to say yes to following you. Maybe right now as you're watching, this is the first time or the first time in a long time where you're, you're just knowing you need to make a decision to say yes to following Christ. To not reject him because it's difficult or he didn't answer your prayer like you thought or you disagree with his philosophy on things. But right now is a moment. I want to pray for you. Jesus, be the king of our life. Forgive us of our sin and our brokenness. Forgive us for thinking that we know how to drive the car of our lives better than you. And I pray that you help us to learn how to follow you. I pray that you help us, God, to have a humility to submit to the leaders that you've put in our lives and help us to learn how to follow those people that you have installed in our lives to help lead us and guide us and direct us towards you. Jesus, there are good people around us and we thank you for them. We pray for them. Pray your blessing upon them. Continue to shape us and teach us what it means to be a follower of you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.